Father, as we come to your word this morning, we just pray for your presence with us and help us to be able to understand this, uh, this story and how it applies in our lives today. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> Am I turned on? Could you hear? Okay, good. Right, lovely. Making the right choice. Well, Hercules in mythology is known for his strength and adventures. After killing his music teacher, <laughs> sorry music, musicians, but there he is, Hercules ran away to be a shepherd. One day he was visited by two nymphs, their beautiful maidens who lived in woods and mountains. One was called Pleasure and the other was called Virtue. Hercules was offered a choice between a pleasant and easy life or a severe but glorious life. Hercules chose virtue. I wonder which one I would have chosen, which one you would have chosen. Now our chapter this morning is about two men who were faced with a very important choice. But first, let's have some background. So if this thing will work, if we could have the first uh, one up. There we are. The Cradle of Civilization. We've already had a map this morning. Now we've got another one coming up. And uh, let's see, getting the setting of where we're, where we're about. So Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's the beginning of the world, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of sin, the beginning of judgment, the beginning of God's rescue plan. It's all there in the book of Genesis. And it was through one family, starting with Abraham, whose name God later changed to Abraham. Abraham was born in Ur. And if we can see if my pointer works, which it doesn't, probably turned off. We're working, there it is. Can you see it there? Marked, the little pointer. And that looks as though it's actually on the Persian Gulf. Well, it was then, because they show there below the modern-day coastline is now inland. And we usually call it Ur of the Chaldees. And the reason you've got the extra bit is Ur just means like town or city. So this was the very first civilizations took place in this cradle of civilization. It's got other names. Sometimes it's called the Fertile Crescent because it's a fantastic fertile area of land, like a crescent all the way round, going all the way down into Egypt by the River Nile. And that's where civilization began. That's where people started to build houses and cities. And that's where the story starts. It starts in Ur of the Chaldees. And it runs up through what's called Mesopotamia. Now, if you're good in your Greek, that means between two rivers. And the two massive rivers were the rivers Euphrates and the river Tigris. So you've got that fantastic fertile area of land and still a very important area today. So there we are. He was born there about 4,000 years ago. And then in chapter 11, we saw that he took a great big journey because it says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and they set out from Ur to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now, Haran's not marked on the map, but I think it's somewhere up near the M of Mesopotamia. Again, I've lost, but there it is. Somewhere up there, Haran. So they travel all the way from Ur, following the river Euphrates. Well, uh, 600 miles. I should think they were tired when they got there. 
No transport, no sat-navs, you're back thousands of years ago. Keep following the river Euphrates, you can't really go wrong. Perhaps that's the directions they got. Turn right after about a month's walking and you'll come to the place you want to go and ask for directions. On the way, they pass through Babylon. Can you see that marked on the map? And Babylon was the large city. It used to be called Babel. You remember the Tower of Babel back in Genesis again? And we can learn about Babel was the place where God scattered everybody and confused the language because they were building this great big tower and they sort of got very big for themselves and thought, we're going to be fantastic people. We're going to make this tower. Aren't we marvellous? And he comes through there, he walks past Babylon and eventually they reach, um, they reach the, uh, their, their destination in Haran. Babel, we get the word babbling from it. So when you babble, that's confused language. Another little bit of an aside for it in the background. And then he had a second big journey. So he moved on. There we go. So instead now, he's walked all the way from Ur. You can see now it's, it's moved inland, so it's obviously a later picture. <laughs> there he is. He's got up through Babylon, all the way up to Iran, which is now marked. And then the second journey takes him from Haran, virtually due south, right down through Aleppo, which is in the news, been in the news these uh, recent years, down through Damascus, which is often in the news today, and he comes out into the land of Canaan, which you can see marked on the map there. Second journey. The Lord said, go to the land I will show you. Abraham obeyed and set out with his family a tremendous step of faith. His wife and his nephew Lot went with him and they arrived at the land of Canaan and they settled near Bethel. And you can see that again on the, on the map. That was another 400-mile journey, probably passing through Aleppo and Damascus. And then eventually they stopped near the Negev. And again, near the bottom of the map, and the Negev was like a desert area right in the south of Canaan. So that's the setting for our story. That's the setting that, uh, that we've been um, looking at in the first few um, talks on, on Abraham. And then we, we learnt about the, the famine and they had to move another 200 miles. They travelled all the way to Egypt to get food. God looked after them there, but Abraham behaved very badly. And if you want to know more, listen to John's talk. You weren't here last, last week about that, what went wrong. Back to Canaan again, another 200-mile walk. And uh, eventually, we've, arri we've arrived at our setting for this morning. So if you've got your Bibles open now, because you will need them with you, because we're going to look at this as sort of a, a little bit of a, a Bible study to pick out some of the key points from it. It's on page 14, right near the start of your Bibles. Nice and easy to follow. We've got the first bit, the first four verses. Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Bethel is a very important place in the Old Testament. Only Jerusalem is mentioned more times. It means house of God. 
a very important place for Abraham because he received three great promises there. And these three great promises really are key to not just this bit of the story, but really lots and lots of the stories through the, through the Bible. It says, God said to Abraham, I will bless you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And I will make you a great nation. So those promises are foundational to understanding the book of Abraham. The story of Abraham, sorry. These promises are a key foundation to the book of Genesis. They're key to the rest of the Bible. They're key to church history. They're key now and they will be key in the future. Could Abraham really believe God's promises? How could he be the father of a great nation when he had no children? His wife was barren. He started well by obeying the Lord and moving where God had led him. Then things had gone wrong when life got tough. His faith went missing in Egypt and he was afraid for his safety. He said, they will kill me. No, they won't. You're under God's protection. If we believe God's promises, we believe that, truly believe that. We can trust him. We can trust in God. So now he's come back to Bethel. He returns to the place where he'd earlier called on the name of the Lord. He started again by once more calling on the name of the Lord in verse 4. And then verses 5 to 9, we read that uh, now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarrelling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are close relatives. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Both rich men. But now Abraham is faced with a severe test. Not only have we acquired too many positions, we've also got quarrelling herdsmen. They're all arguing among themselves. So I wonder what thoughts went through Abraham's mind. How can I sort out this problem? Surely we've got to split up. But how can I make a split? I know. I can demand my rights. I'm the patriarch. I'm the older one. I'm the one who's had all these promises. I can demand what I want. Does it really matter if I give Lot the second Lot and he can have his second bet worse. Does it matter? Surely that will be okay. God will understand. I wonder if those sort of thoughts went through his mind. That's probably the thoughts that would have gone through my mind. There it is, all this land, all this fertile land we're looking down on from up near Bethel. We're looking down to the valley. But, you know, I think at that moment, Abraham probably paused for thought, just as I should, just as we all should, when we're faced with a, tricky ch with a tricky choice. How do we make the right decision? I think at that moment, Abraham offered an arrow prayer to God. Again, just as we should. Please help me, Lord. How can I handle this difficult situation? And then Abraham remembered what God had promised and took a leap of faith. He thought, I can trust God. He will keep his promises. 
So it doesn't really matter which choice I make. I can open it up. I can give the choice to, to Lot. So Abraham was very generous. We'll split up and you can choose which part of the land you would like. But what do you think? Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoe was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. You know, I think uh, the thoughts that went through Lot's mind, I don't think he could quite believe his luck. I've just won the lottery. I've got this fantastic land in front of me. Look at that lovely valley down there with a river running through it. It looks so rich. It reminds me of those wonderful pastures in Egypt. What a good life I and my family will have. We'll have more time for leisure and enjoyment I will never ever be in need again God's provided this fantastic country this fantastic land for me it's so like the story of uh, Mr Bigger Barnes in Luke chapter 12 do you know what that says take life easy eat drink and be merry but God said to him you fool this very night your life will be demanded from you. A very sobering thought. If that's what we're looking for, we think that's the way we're going to live our lives. You fool this very night, your life will demand it from you. We do not know how many days we have to live. You know, I don't think it took long, very long, to lots very long, sorry, to make up his mind. I don't think he did like uh, Abraham had done. I don't think he stopped and paused Thoughts were there, and there's the temptation and the wonderful land all in front of him. Not a hard decision for him, no arrow prayers. Off he goes, down 3,000 feet into the valley, and it says he pitches his tents near Sodom. And you won't find Sodom or Gomorrah on any maps. They're not marked, because as we find in a few weeks' time, and I've got the joy of talking on it, we get to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But, you know, I think Lot already knew what the people of that place were like. He was quite aware. He knew what they were like. It says the people of uh, Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. That didn't matter to him. He's still going there and he's going and living in that area. The attraction of the city was too strong. He decided to take a risk, a risk which would affect not just him, but his whole family. And in the next chapter, we read that Lot has moved right into the city of Sodom. No longer on the outskirts, but now he's moved into the city. So there he is, he makes his choice. And then verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offsprings forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so if anyone could count the dusk, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tent. There he built an altar to the Lord. 
So Abraham didn't have much time to reflect on the Lord because the Lord straight away gives him these wonderful promises. Remember, Lot has gone off to the east. God now promises Abraham all the land he can see. See what it says? It says to the north and south, to the east and west. All of it. That includes the land Lot has chosen. In effect, God is saying, don't worry, Abraham. You acted wisely. You trusted me. And now I will reward you and your offspring forever. Go and see. Walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. What a gift. God rewards Abraham richly. And Abraham remembers to thank God. The chapter starts with him building an altar. It finishes with him building an altar. God is at the beginning of the story. God is at the end of this chapter. That should be our pattern that we follow as Christians. We commit the day to the Lord. We thank God at the end of the day. We've got important decisions ahead. It's the start of a new term. All sorts of things are crowded on in our lives. How are we going to respond to them? Now, what possible relevance can this story from 4,000 years ago have for us today? I wonder if you're sort of thinking, how does this apply in my life, really? I've mentioned one or two ways, but think about it. From a worldwide viewpoint, let's take a big point at the moment. At the moment, North Korea is the centre of world attention, as well as obviously the hurricanes and the, the floods in, uh, in Bangladesh and various other disasters are going on in the world. But, you know, the Arab-Israeli conflict is much older so if we could have the, uh, the next one on. Look at the map of the Middle East. This is where Israel is today. The little bit in orange, can you see it marked? Not very big, and it's, but it's a crucial country. It's right at the junction between, you've got Europe on the top left-hand corner, you can see marked. Asia on the right-hand side. Africa there. The three. It's a tiny country, but it's strategically placed. That is the land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants forever. It's only about the size of Wales. That's all. Tiny little country. And look what it's surrounded by. It's surrounded by enemies. It's a miracle it even exists. In 1948, the Jewish people started returning to Israel. And they've had wars and various attempts to wipe them off from the face of the earth. At the moment, Iran wants to completely wipe it out. That's their intention. That's what they want to do. Hezbollah's got over 100,000 missiles aimed at Israel. But God promised Abraham, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I believe that God keeps his promises. I believe that more and more this area of the world, Israel and that area of that, will become the focus more and more of world attention as we come to the, uh, to the end times. One day soon, Jesus will return. Read the end of the story, the last two chapters of the Bible when you get home. So that's the big picture. Now what about the church viewpoint? What about us making the right choice? Learn from Abraham, move from fear to faith. As a congregation, we must have faith that God will provide the right leader we need, not just for our church, but for our whole community of Aldridge, a community which has been deeply hurt over the last few weeks.
not just the death of Rob Cook and the death of James Brindley, but lots of things in our own community that we need to be praying for. You know, we've got a, a roll of rectors. I don't know where you see, but it's on the table up here. I put it out there because you may never have seen it. It's usually tucked away around the corner. When you have your coffee, you can have a read of it. It goes back to 1305, all right? That's not when the church was founded because the church was founded before that, somewhere in about 1250, roughly. I can't remember exactly. We don't know the exact date. But there it is. And uh, that roll of rectors shows that all the ones who've been there that God, I believe, has provided the right person at the right time for our church. Now, you know, um, I'll come back to that in a moment, but when we appoint the next rector, the three people are going to be part of the, three groups are part of the appointment process. We have what's called a patron. He's going to oversee the process, and the Bishop of Wolverhampton will be involved, but the congregation are also involved. And the congregation really need to decide who are going to be our two reps to represent us in the whole process and really to be able to talk it through. So it's open to people to be able to talk about it. But if you want to know more about it, you've got to come to the prayer event on Tuesday. And I'll explain a little bit more at that and uh, just a little bit about the prayer event. Because in 1965, Reverend Cartmel, who used to be the rector here from 1945 to 1969, he said... The spiritual life in any church is indicated by the attendance at the prayer event. How do we stand? That's what he said. That's so relevant for us today. Spiritual life of any church is indicated by the attendance at the prayer event. Do we give that the priority we should? Make every effort to get here on Tuesday night and start praying for the right person because that's what we've got to do pray that God will bring the right person to us here in Aldridge so we believe that ultimately God is in control and we can trust him this church has got a great history going back over 750 years but you know that that role is now full John Coyne's name has already been put on it's on there written down when the state that he started I think we may not even need another role. Why? Because I believe Christ could return within that time scale. I believe that. I believe that the world is coming towards its end. Jesus said, I am coming soon. Do we live in the life of that day by day? Do we get up each morning and say, Lord, I believe you could come back today. Help me to live a life today which is pleasing to you, to show that I'm ready for your return. Is that the way we live as Christians? Or do we say, oh no, that's going to be sometime in the future. Are we going to be like the scoffers who are talked about in 1 Peter, who sort of say, no, 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 that's not going to happen. It hasn't happened for 2,000 years. It's not going to happen in my lifetime. How are we going to get on with that? The end of the Bible, the end of the story, the end of the history as we know it will soon be here. Just remember the very last words that Jesus said were, yes, I am coming soon. And if we believe God's promises, that is the one big promise which hasn't yet been fulfilled. Most of the others have already happened. 
There's just one point from our story. I don't believe there's any place in our church for quarrelling herdsmen. Lot and Abraham had that trouble. You know, John Delight, another one, lovely, lovely man, died about three or four years ago. He was rector here from 1969 to 1983. He often said, running this church is like trying to tame a group of wild horses. <laughs> I don't think much has changed because we all want what we want. We all think we've got our views and we need to work together in love. That's the way that we should be working. Listen to these uh, 12 statements from my Bible reading this week. It said, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, never be lacking in zeal, keep your spiritual fervour, serve the Lord, be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, be faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Look up the list when you get home. I believe that's, I think it's at the end of Romans. It would be great if all those were evident during the vacancy and beyond. Now, just to, uh, coming towards the end, the story of a man of faith, Bishop Sidney Dunn. Anybody heard of him? No? It's a shame, really, that we haven't. He died last month, age 95. He was born in Jamaica, emigrated to Birmingham. He wanted to make his fortune and return to Jamaica. He got his choice. He thought that's what he was going. But God had got other plans for him. So he found it difficult to integrate into the local churches. He'd come over from Jamaica, he went along and he, they used to get comments like, oh, it's lovely to see you, but please don't come back here next week. That was the actual thing that he was getting. So he found, he found his own Pentecostal church meeting in Gibson Road in Hansworth. The church grew and grew and planted 42 congregations in the UK. And he was the, the big visionary behind the Bethel, lovely word again, place of God, convention centre in West Bromwich, which holds 2,500 people. It's a fantastic resource. But the work of the church is not the building. What's happened there was fantastic. Started and planted 42 churches. This is one short quote from his... Uh, he said, This generation needs a church and leaders who are fearless willing to risk their lives for what God is saying now. That is powerful stuff. That's what we want. People who don't live by fear, who live by faith. Fearless, willing to risk their lives for what God is saying now. What is God saying to us now as a church? And what about individuals? I've got three quick things very quick. Just first of all, is that the first one? Was that the first one? Sorry. You cannot serve God and money. That was the choice in a way between what um, Lot wanted. He wanted money, he wants lots. Think about your priorities. Does it really matter where we live as Christians? As long as we can get a good job and provide for our families. Yes, it does matter. It's not just money. We cannot serve God and. Cannot serve God and anything else because the anything else will eventually take are over the priority in our lives. And the second one, it says, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me of my house, we will serve the Lord. Put God first. 
Serve him first. All these other things that are coming in, forget them. They're not important. Make sure that your worship and your prayer life is right at the front. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Make that your real sort of text, if you like. Live by it. And finally, this one is a bit of a, a very powerful message in that one. Now, we have you seen that? But that's a German picture from about 1860. It's a powerful choice about the broad and the narrow way. It's got a very, very powerful story to it. On the left-hand side, you've got that nice big Willkommen, it says. But you know, I don't know German, by the way. Um, <laughs> Dave, sorry. But okay, language teacher. But there it is. There it is, the broad way leading to destruction shown in the flames of hell that they're illustrating there in that powerful message. And on the right-hand side, there's just a little gateway. Just a little gateway. The broad and the narrow way. But there's a cross above it and there's a stream of water coming from it, life-giving water flowing from the cross that we can go and then we can lead on it, leading us to the eternal holy city of God, the new Jerusalem. Now, so those are the choices. And what do people say today? You know, only about 50%, they reckon now, of our population of any kind of religious faith it's not the picture in the world, all over the world. We've not replaced faith with anything, except perhaps belief in ourselves. I'm my own God. I can do whatever I want. And that's very dangerous. It's about as useful as mythology. It will lead to fear and separation from God's love. Why don't we have more faith in God and his promises? G.K. Chesterton warned, when a man stops believing in God, he doesn't then believe in nothing. He believes in anything. As God's word says, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But as for you, continue in what you have learned, knowing the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So living by faith should not be the experience of only a few super spiritual Christians. Living by faith is the way God wants all of us to live our lives. Living by faith is day-to-day -day friendship with Jesus. Living by faith is the opposite of living by fear. Get your name on the Alpha course to learn of God's love, the way of salvation, and how Jesus can change fear into faith. Start the journey of faith. Faith in the living Lord Jesus. Make the right decision today. Amen. We'll stay seated just to sing as a reflection. But um, Abraham remembered to thank God. And God is at the beginning of the story and at the end of the story. Let's join in with this lovely song, Be Still for the Presence of the Lord.
Thank you. Um, if Jill, Sue and David could form an orderly queue, please. Um, I publish the bands of marriage between Darren John Burns, single of Christchurch Blakenall Heath, and Rebecca Francis Portman, single of Christchurch Blakenall Heath, but with a qualifying connection with uh, the parish of Aldridge.